today I wanted to start with a new uh, special message for the new year called Overcoming Stressful Days. Overcoming Stressful Days. And uh, you ask me, well, well, Pastor Kent, why? Why? Well, the reason is because it's a new year, but also I want to give you three reasons why I think that we're heading into a very chaotic and stressful time. And the first is, if you study empires, and there's a book written on this entitled The American Expiration Date, America's Expiration Date by Cal Thomas, and he did a study of all great empires throughout history, and they last about 250 years. And so if you go from 1776, 200 years forward, you're at 1996, correct? Uh, 1976, and then you add 50 years, you're at 2026, which means that we're at the 250th year at 2026. So we're moving towards that 250-year expiration date. And when you get to that point, uh, you're ready to kind of fall apart. This is historically what happens to empires. And I think as we're moving towards the middle section of the, uh, the 2020s to 2030, that area, you're right in the inflection point. And I think we're moving into the inflection point for some other reasons. But there, historically speaking, uh, great nation states only last for 250 years. And so we're looking down the barrel of that. The second reason I think that this year is going to be difficult and the following is because of the Jewish Essene calendar. Now, the Jewish Essenes, at the time of Jesus, there were three large groups of Jewish believers. The first were known as the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the group of people that Jesus debated with, and they didn't believe in miracles, the resurrection of the dead, and things like that. And so they're sad, you see. <laughs> they're the Sadducees. And uh, the second group are the Pharisees, and that means the pure ones, or the, the, pure, the, the pure group. And they were constantly and always fighting with Jesus, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. But there was a third group that you don't read a lot about in the Bible. But as a result of the T Dead Sea Scrolls, we know were existing at the same time. In fact, they began to emerge in the Middle East and in Israel around 200 B.C., and they were gone by 100 A.D. And who were these people? Well, as we've done, we've came to have a fuller understanding of who they are when we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in around 19, in some in mid 1940s. But the Israeli, you know, archaeological society that's headed up by the government doesn't release the information that's found in these digs until they sift through them all and, you know, make sure they're properly cataloged and all that. It's not a conspiracy, but it takes them a long time to work through all of it because there's so many of these scrolls and it's a new historical finding. And so we didn't really have access to them. Some, some scholars did, but not many until the early, I would say, 1990s. And by the time scholars were able to read it, sift through it, they were able to publish their understanding of it. And so if you have a Bible commentary, especially a New Testament commentary, that was published before, let's say, 2010, it's probably antiquated because it doesn't have any of the information on the Dead Sea Scrolls that we've had come to the surface. And what were the Dead Sea Scrolls? It's a community in the desert known as Qumran. And Qumran, you'll hear that term you know, battered about, is a group of Essenes. And the Essenes were the most conservative of the Jewish people in that time period. Many scholars believe that John the Baptist was an Essene because he, come, he comes from the desert region and he's preaching the kind of messages that the Essenes preached. 
And they divided from the Pharisees at 200 BC over a fight concerning the Jewish calendar. So if you know anything about the Jewish calendar, there's two calendars and they're always fighting even to this day. But the separation was that the original calendar, the Essene calendar, the one that was preserved by Zadok the priest under David the king, is the one they think and believe is the true calendar. Whereas the Pharisees and those who followed the others who split away from the Zadok calendar, so the original was the Zadok calendar, think of it that way. That's not the technical term, but I'm trying to give you layman stuff so you don't get lost in all the words that make sense. They split away, and they have the new calendar. Now, the old calendar, which the Essenes followed, predicted the coming of the Messiah to be in the first seven years of the Jubilee that began, which was the time that Jesus Christ was born. And so they believed that this person named Jesus of Nazareth could be the Messiah. And so you never see the Essenes in the New Testament debating with Jesus. They're just watching him, and they know he'll be, according to their calendar, crucified in 32 AD, which Jesus Christ was. And when he resurrected from the dead, as you read in the book of Acts, many Jewish priests became Christians and joined the Christian movement, correct? Who were they? They weren't the Pharisees, maybe some. They weren't the Sadducees, because they don't believe in a resurrection. Now they have some to explain. It was the Essenes. And that's why they disappeared by the end of the first century. They all became Christians and joined the Christian movement. Well, their calendar says there's a second coming of the Messiah. And remember, this calendar has been in existence since the time of King David. They claim it goes all the way back to Noah. Okay? So it's the same calendar. It predicts the second coming of the Messiah to establish a thousand-year reign on earth. And are you ready? 2025. Now, he doesn't come 2025, he comes in the Jubilee that is started in 2025, and that's a 50-year period. So anywhere, according to the Essene calendar, between 2025 and 2075, they expect that Christ will be coming back to establish his kingdom on earth. Ooh. So, and they haven't missed the other calendar markers. They also, it, the calendar also predicted the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And we just found that calendar, and scholars are going through it and going, oh my goodness, this is pretty amazing. And there's some great books written on it. It's very complicated. There's newspaper articles about this calendar and things like that, because it's very accurate. So we're moving towards 2025, would you say? But there's a third reason. So empires only last about 250 years. The Essene calendar says Messiah is going to come anywhere from 2025 to 2075. And we have good reason to think that it's probably accurate. Who, th who really thinks the world can hang on until past 2075? I don't know. The way things are changing so fast, something pretty dramatic is going to happen between now and then. And if Jesus came back, who would be surprised? Amen? Now, there's a third reason. And that's because we are what, in what is known as the fourth turning. And historians have come up with a theory of history called generational history. And they've tested it all the way back to the Roman Empire and every major nation since then. What they find is that there is a secession, uh, an 80-year time period in which a culture transforms itself. And that 80-year time, time period is really effectively one generation. So you're born you, you know, day one, 80 years later, most people are dead. So that generation passes, 
every 80 years. Does that make sense? And when that generation passes and turns the powers, the levers of power to the next generation, it creates great turmoil. It goes through four sessions, four different segments in those 80 years, 20 years apiece. And the last one is known as the fourth turning. These generations turn over. The fourth turning. And in that fourth turning, you have a cataclysmic event. In fact, they explain it. What happens during the fourth turning? Crisis. According to historians Neil Howe and William Strauss, the fourth turning is a crisis. It's an era of destruction, often involving war or revolution, in which, here's the key phrase, institutional life is destroyed and rebuilt in response to a perceived threat to the nation's survival. What's happening right now? There is a war. And the war is between globalism and nationalism worldwide. We are in a fourth turning in American history. The fourth turning, the first turning was the Revolutionary War in 1776. You go 80 years forward, you're in 1856. 1856, the Republican Party was founded to eliminate slavery. And the first presidential candidate of the Republican Party was Abraham Lincoln. The Civil War ended in 1865. Move forward 80 years, 1945, the end of World War II. So that fourth turning included World War II. So the first fourth turning was the Revolutionary War. The second fourth turning was the Civil War. The third turning, fourth turning, was the uh, World War II. Now you go 80 years forward, and you're in 2025. Fourth turning. We're moving into the time of crisis. 2024, who thinks that 2024 might be a little bit rocky in light of the election, <laughs> in light of the indictment of a president that will be prosecuted for whatever he's being prosecuted for, they're, they're going to try to uh, impeach him, whether they will or not, that's another story, but that's what they, they have meetings doing that right now. Who thinks that people might be arguing about the integrity of the election? Who thinks we might be moving towards a police state? But who was here? See the movie Police State this last week, right? Yeah, these things are all coming true, correct? And so what we're doing is we're moving into this fourth turning. And what is the, what's the fight about? The preservation of the nation. What we're facing right now in America is will we be ruled by the founding principles based on the laws of nature and nature's God, as it says in the Declaration of Independence, which is a technical phrase, and if you go to a legal dictionary published in that era, they will define those terms as the laws of nature, things like gravity, etc., natural law, and the laws of nature's God as the Bible. The Ten Commandments specifically, and the two commandments of Christ. So when we founded this nation, we told uh, England, we have a legitimate right to rebel against your tyranny, and your ownership of us as a nation because you have violated God's eternal law recorded in nature and recorded in scripture and that's why we're doing this. And we know also that over 85% of Americans at that time claimed to be Christian and 75% were hardcore Calvinist Christians. And who are hardcore Calvinist Christians? Uh, Bible only. Hardcore Bible. They understood. The first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, 
was part of writing the Constitution, and he was a hardcore Christian. And James Madison, who is known as the writer, the actual writer of the Constitution, Jefferson probably wrote the Declaration with Ben Franklin's help and others, but uh, Madison wrote the Constitution. He was discipled by the president of Princeton, who was a hardcore Christian, and discipled over 30 congressmen and a number of senators, and James Madison, the president. These were all Christians. And so the battle that we're facing in America right now, we're right in the middle of it, and we're seeing it, is will we continue to be a Christian nation, a nation founded upon the laws of nature and nature's God, where we believe in the dignity of the human being and their, the value of their life, and so we have what? Uh, we have a war that cost us 325,000 people's death, known as the Civil War, to stand for the importance and the integrity of human life. And that we will live our life not part of a global regime, but self-governed by a national heritage. Versus an atheistic, Marxist, international, global order. That's what this is about. It's not about politics. It's not about Republicans and uh, Democrats. It's about the soul of the nation and its conscience. What will determine right and wrong in this nation going forward? Will it be the laws of nature and nature's God and the heritage, the heritage that we have inherited from our forefathers? Or will we go into social Marxism and full Marxism and tyranny and domination by a world, a world government? Well, what does the Christian want to do? One world government, we'll find out when we're in the book of Revelation, again, is headed up by the Antichrist. Because he then is able to consolidate all power because there's a one world government and a one world religion and a one world economic system. Not a good idea. So we want to be nationalists, which means we believe in tra tradition, religion, culture, and uh, uh, community, and a free market society. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're walking into in this next election. The present administration is signing off our right to legally determine our own medications to the World Health Organization. They have actually written the document that they're trying to get all the other countries to sign. It was submitted in the UN about six months ago. We voted in favor of it, but it didn't pass. Guess why? Because a bunch of small little countries in Africa said no. We've seen the way this Gates stuff has helped us, and it's been poison. And you're just going to, you're just going to give it to all of us against our will. So this present administration has given up our rights to medical freedom. They just haven't been able to pass it into international law. That's what we're fighting for. That's what's going on right now. That's what's happening in the world. So I think there might be some stressful days. Amen. But let me add one more thing. Since you guys love this stuff, you sickos. <laughs> Anyone ever heard of Raoul Pal? Yeah, he is, used to be the European director of Goldman Sachs. He left Goldman Sachs. He's a Spanish guy. He left Goldman Sachs. He moved to the Cayman Islands and opened his own, uh, basically, economic advisory uh, corporation known as Real Vision. And he, he advises... Uh, hedge funds worldwide. He's very successful at that, charges a very big fee. I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to have access to that. 
And he, every week on Friday, gives a little summary of this. He's a specialist in macroeconomics and economic theory and how that impacts, you know, investment decisions going forward. Does that make sense? And so what he does is every Friday he has what he calls a uh, open mic or something like that or, or open phone or anything. And he gives 20 minutes of his take on what's happening and then he takes questions. Does that make sense? Well, on this last Friday, he talked about what's going on and this is what he said. And I kind of, I transcribed it from his uh, broadcast. He said this, he said, most of you saw my big rap at the end of the year because it was everywhere. It was on YouTube. It was on our platform. It was on Twitter. It was literally everywhere all over the internet. So you kind of know what my economic view is. Now here's what I wanted you to see. 2024 should be a pretty straightforward election cycle kind of year. Governments always have to hand out cookies to the kids, the voters, you know, at, elector, at election time. And this year will be no different. And you know Janet Yellen has been obviously offsetting the quantitative tightening by managing the Treasury general account and the issuance. In other words, they're tightening over here, raising rates, but over here they're loosening under the cover of how they issue the bonds and, and how they manage the Treasury. So it actually looks like it's being tightened here, and you're all paying the price for that while they're loosening it here, and the big guys have access to the cash. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying is going on, all right? And then he says this, and I don't see any reason why Yellen will want to uh, tighten conditions just when they fear Donald Trump the most. They will do anything and everything in their power to not let that happen. In other words, Trump be elected. They want the stock market and the economy to be as strong as possible, so expect plenty of effort to manage things in order to win your vote. Now remember, I'm just talking about elections. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating again. Listen carefully. Artificial intelligence is going to be the new participant in the election, and you are going to lose your minds. Many countries around the world, not just the United States, have elections coming up, and artificial intelligence will play a part. Nothing you see, nothing you hear, nothing you read, and none of the people you talk to online, none of them may be real. He's not, he's not really caring about the politics. He lives in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> That's why he moved there. Interesting story he has. But nonetheless, he says this. But it may not be real. So he says this. And it may look like it's me talking to you, but it's probably AI, unless it's on our authentic channel or my personal Twitter feed or our Real Vision platform behind the paywall. If you find clips of me online saying crazy things, don't trust it. Not that he's above saying crazy things, but his point is, don't trust it. Don't trust anything you see. Also, you will lose your mind. You will hate your neighbors. You will hate your brother. You will hate your sister. Your wife won't even talk to you. All because of the anger and resentment this election cycle is going to bring about, especially because of the interference with artificial intelligence. My guess is, I will keep warning you about that outcome, but the tech companies, which are behind all of this, are going to get sued by the government like the banks did after 2008, banking crisis. 
In other words, you can't do anything until you catch them in the act. And his guess is they're going to be involved in this artificial intelligence stuff and then going to be caught in the act and then later be, you know, dealt with. So, and then he ends his comment with this. You ready? So that's all I have to say on this cheery note. <laughs> What's my point? Everything that's going on in culture right now is pointing to the fact that we may have some stressful days coming, coming ahead. 